This week on The Adaptation Game, when you go trick-or-treating, ask for a book instead of candy because it's candy for your mind. Welcome to the Adaptation Game. Uh, that was a perfectly executed intro that requires no uh, editing, no, no going back. No apology. Uh, <laughs> this is the show where two numbskulls who don't know nothing about nothing uh, try to adapt different intellectual properties into different mediums. I am, of course, your intrepid host, Mr. Matthew Schott. And with me, as always, is my equally intrepid, if not more so, Mr. Chris Okawa. Yep. I didn't even call you my co-host there. I just said my 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 Mr. My Mr. Chris Okawa. I'm your, mister. So you're- <laughs> I'm your little Mr. I'm your little Mr. Businessman. Oh man, this is great. It's a good thing that um it it's really something that the audience should know that our editing software is broken, so we can only do one take. Yeah. Uh we cannot go back and try again. Everything has to happen on in one go. It's That's why like it all a- stays in. It's the vertical leap of podcasts. Exactly. We got one shot. Exactly. We got one shot to make it. And I think we've crushed it every single time without exception. On that note, we have <laughs> an interesting topic this week. Um, this is going to be a, a rather stripped down uh, episode compared to what we've spoiled you listeners with. Uh, you've been spoiled for choice when it comes to guests, but we decided to to return to our roots this week and just do one that's just the boys, just Matt and Chris, talk and shop and live in that great life as we do. So for this week, we decided to give ourselves an interesting little challenge by each independently selecting a candy bar and adapting it into a best-selling novel. The kind that I don't I didn't actually put this stipulation out beforehand, but this is how I was thinking about it. You need to be able to see it in your local grocery store, in your in your Wegmans, in your Harris yeah. Teeter, and whatever you have regionally. You, you, you got to see it where they have that one like wooden shelf that has like <laughs> the best sellers. The only the cream of the crop oh, damn. makes it onto that. Mine might wood. be on like in a box in the back, but it's there. <laughs> okay. If it makes it as long as it's in the grocery store, I yeah, think that it might be counts. in your grandfather's coat pocket, but it's there. <laughs> That's the that's the important thing. If it's if it's stashed away in a bin next to the checkout line, uh, <laughs> that's how you know it's good. <laughs> no, I like this sort of pattern of revealing the new stipulations after I've written four pages on something completely different. <laughs> this is a good thing. Yeah. Should, this is a good bit we should keep in the show pretty regularly. Let's make it a tradition. I have a bad habit of just like assigning rules in my own head <laughs> and then assuming everyone else knows those rules already because it's common <laughs> sense. So that's great. Um, so usually we like to open with our uh, personal history, but that's going to be kind of difficult with this one. This is going to be a very similar to our Books to Breakfast cereal. This is almost backwards. This is basically Books to Breakfast cereal backwards. <laughs> this should be the we've title. Up here. <laughs> the reverse, the rewind sign, and then Books to Breakfast. And people would be like, is that part of the title? 
Is that a sideways Christmas tree? Uh, it's bre- it's breakfast breakfast of books. Uh, or, or <laughs> I guess I mean you can eat candy for breakfast if you're eating Reese's Puff cereal. So um, <laughs> instead of instead of talking about our personal history with uh, and and the, the history of these things since we don't even know what they are yet, mm-hmm. uh, since we've both chosen independently and have presumably separate uh, candies and bookies. Oh, guaranteed so, based on these new rules you've introduced, Matthew. <laughs> guaranteed, guaranteed. <laughs> Then uh, instead, why don't I just ask you this, Chris Okawa, and this will give the uh, audience a nice little insight into your brain that they don't normally get. Mm. Uh, What is your favorite and least favorite candy bar and what is your favorite and least favorite book? Okay, Um, so my taste, there was a point. Okay, so my favorite candy bar growing up, especially trick-or-treating, it's that time of year um, when we're recording. It'll probably be a little bit after that point when this drops, but. Um, yeah, it'll be like almost December. Almost December. Um, I loved Snickers growing up. I thought that that was like liquid, not liquid gold, just chocolate gold. Um, I thought it was lovely. It would be liquid were, if it melted. Yeah, and, and more often than not. And so I, uh, growing up in Arizona, so I, um, but there was a change in my taste buds somewhere in my adolescence where the sugar content and the nougat, something in the Snickers be- blend began to burn my throat as I ate it. Um, like the, there was a heat generated by the sugar content of that bar. So I don't have it often, but I do look back on it in fondness. Um, my least favorite candy is probably go, definitely actually the topic of my pitch uh, this uh, week. Um, it's a candy. Well, then save it, save it, save yeah, it. We'll, I'll just we'll allude it when we get to, to the pitch zone. Yeah, I'll just tease it that it's a candy that's not 100% edible. <laughs> And that's what I hate about it. And I'm not talking about candy buttons, which are my second least favorite for the same fucking reason. Mm. How about you, so Matt? What, uh, for me, for candy bars, uh, it doesn't exactly count as a candy bar. But I'm going to say that uh, uh, it's more of a candy disc or mm. two two discs, if you will. Uh, and that would, of course, be uh, I will um, I I am a huge Reese's head. Mm. I love all things Reese's. Uh, two years ago, myself and uh, Mr. Sam Kessler and my mm. wonderful sister, we all went down to uh, Hershey Park uh, with one of the number one uh, things on there being so that I could meet the living Reese's peanut butter cup. What? Um, uh, because, you know, they have the mascot characters come out and yeah. they have uh, the, yeah, you, get you to know. Give them a hug? I did not get to meet the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I unfortunately only saw the Reese's Fast Break. Okay, <laughs> that was all I was going I love the Fast Breaks. Do you like I the- like the Fast I like the yeah. Fast Break. Honestly, I like all things Reese's. I love a Reese's Nutrageous. I yes. love a Reese's Stick. Oh my God, a yes. Reese's Stick is my shit. I love um, the Reese's stuff. Honestly, Reese's anything is here I'm here for it. It could be literally anything and I'm on board with whatever Reese's wants to do. I am standing the uh, the Hershey company so that I can get <laughs> access to Reese's. However, I will say probably my least favorite 
candy bar is probably a Hershey's, like a regular plain Hershey's with like no fixins. Yeah, that's I don't terrible. Mind, I don't mind like a Hershey's with almonds or whatever. Or the ones or like, that are the treasures, the ones that are like the, the treasure Yeah, you boxes. got like something in there. I like chocolate. Don't get me wrong. I love chocolate, in fact. But to me, chocolate has always been the kind of thing that is there to enhance other things. Yeah. You know, it's there to like give the peanut butter an extra kick or bring out the flavor in a, in a, in a regular cookie. I don't know what you'd call a chocolate chip cookie without <laughs> It's chips, like a, a molasses a cookie. disc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a brown you know. sugar baby, maybe. I it, don't know. It adds a kick, but I don't want to just eat chocolate. I want chocolate to 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 enhance something else. Chocolate to me is like the bard of the party. It's the buffer. It's here to just uh, cast buffing spells on on the other flavors it's there to and cast and bless on them. your on your walnuts and your peanuts. Exactly, but if the whole party dies and it's just the buffer left behind, like you're fucked. It's so. short. It's it, Strahd's going to make short work of that chocolate. Absolutely. So that's going to be an issue. Um, so, Chris, what about your favorite and least favorite book? What's your favorite and least favorite book? Okay. Um, one of my favorite books, actually, I think would be a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, ironically enough. I think that was initially like when we were talking about, we we're sort of spitballing what the episode was about. I was like, I want it to be something with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, and um, you, of course, you know, punched it up in this, this wonderful format. Um, so I love Charlie and Chocolate Factory because it was the first book I read that had that twist at the end. And it's like, and he wrote a book about it. And that's the book that you just read. I didn't I did not know that that's how that book ends. So yeah. spoiler alert. Spoilers. It was written by Charlie as an account, an omniscient narrative account of uh, of all of the people that he ever met. And I don't know how he gets all of those details, but. Roald Dahl's head was a little bit scrambled from all of his spy <laughs> business. So uh, that's probably one of my favies. Um, my my adult favy is uh, the Goldfinch. They just had a terrible uh, movie made uh, starring Ansel Elgort, of all people, based on my uh, or my Indiana Jones bitch. <laughs> yes, Indiana um, Jones Jr. himself. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's my favorite book as an adult man. My least favorite book. I don't like these knockoff Dr. Seuss books that I came across after his passing, like the foot book and shit. I think that that stuff's kinky and creepy. I don't like it one bit. Yeah. If I hear a, a foot book, my immediate thought is that's a That's a kink thing. That's what's going on here. If it's a book yeah. of just feet, um, that's that's it's that's a foot book. It's a book about feet. An and issue. I don't care if they're fuzzy and furry and friendly looking. It's mm. we, there's a you know, they come in all shapes and that's cool. But I'm Chris just not Okawa. here for it. Just throwing bows at uh, children's <laughs> literature. Um, I think for me, uh, if I had to pick a favorite book, I mean, there's a lot of books that I love, um, but I think that my like generic white dude, uh, <laughs> white white nerdy dude answer would probably be like Dune, Frank Herbert's Dune. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it really like I'm sorry, it's it is it is very good, and I, I like it a lot. It's it's very dense. Um, and Frank Herbert, you know, and in some of the sequels gets a little problematic for sure. Um, (laughs) but I really, really love that first book. I love the twist ending in that one, which I will not spoil because it, uh, it enhances the book so much not knowing. And, um, 
Uh, I also would say Ubik for a while. Philip K. Dick's Ubik was one of my favorites. I haven't read it since high school, so I don't know if I would like necessarily love it as much. But it's such a like weirdo, mind bending story. It's almost like the purest form of his, you know, signature like PKD. Love him so much at this house. Like fractured reality kind of. It's like it's like it's the like false reality narrative, uh, just boiled down to its like purest, uh, simplest form, and it's it's just a really fun read. Um, So if you're a PKD fan, you haven't checked out Ubik, definitely check it out. Uh, Least favorite book. That's a tricky because I don't I can't finish a book that I hate. Um, So I don't (laughs) I don't feel like I I can like really get in there, but. I will say a book that I read recently that always sticks out in my mind is just like, wow, I hated that. And I did read the entire thing. And I don't think I realized how much I hated it until I had finished it was The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, Mm -hmm. um, which is a book that people really, really dig and has been recommended to me like multiple times. And uh, I finally sat down with it. I was like, yes, a big like fantasy series. Sign me up. I need something to fill that song of ice and fire shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I a hated it so much. The, um, the protagonist of that book is the least likable protagonist. I have this thing where like, I really like under underpowered protagonists. I like protagonists who uh, are like underdogs, you know, and have to kind of like struggle to meet their goals. And that is the exact opposite of that book. Uh, he is just like good at everything. Always. Uh, he, everything He's he tries to do in the book. Uh, I mean, I guess that's like a, I think that term gets thrown around a lot. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily that I call this trope, like the super genius, uh, which, you know, is like Sherlock on Sherlock, uh, like you know, Sherlock Spell. Holmes and just like the character who's like so smart and like so good at everything. And he's always like, everybody's always, every character he talks to is always just like stunned into silence by yeah. his just like sharp wit and his ability to just master any task. And like, you know, characters are always like, well, no one's ever done this before. And then he's just like, bop, 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 bop. I just did it. And I they're like, what? Yeah. And, I'm like, and that I is, smoked I, a cigar during it. Um, I just, I yeah, never want to read about characters like that. I think, yeah, I think Sherlock should make, uh, we should write Sherlock Holmes mysteries or something. We should adapt something to a Sherlock Holmes on this show because I think we both have some strong opinions on him. Um, yeah, that would be an interesting time. Uh, I mean, Sherlock Holmes is, you know, one of the most adapted characters of all time. So that would be a really fun uh, all time. thing for us. Shout out to the terrible new film Enola Holmes. Um, but uh, the another book that I hate that came up to mind as you talked about Game of the Wind and what what fuels one's resentment for such a piece is the popular acclaim sometimes. And for me, that was Jane Eyre. I think that movie, that book blows. Mm. I'm sure the movie blows too. But like that book is awful and no one should teach it in school. There's nothing to learn from it. It's creepy. It's gross. It's bad. I am not familiar with that work. I know it is one of those canonical pieces, um, but I, I just, I, I'm unfamiliar. So I'll take your word for it. I wasn't intending on ever reading Jane Eyre. So I think that I, I'm in the clear. Um, is that one of the, the, it's a Bronte. Yeah. Yeah. The it's one Emily. Of the Bronte and sisters. I think, uh, yeah. Charlotte Bronte or something is the one that did Wuthering. And that's, that's who we stand on this show in the past. Yeah, you're the expert on the Bronte sisters. That's really coming coming through here. Um, I <laughs> will throw in. 
one more book that I hate, uh, and that is Ready Player One. That book fucking sucks. <laughs> um, and I don't think I really need to explain why. Um, I think that all you need to do is just there's like a great uh, image, um, or people have like pulled from the audiobook the like page where it's literally just an entire page of him listing like, and then there was Robocop, and then He Man came out, and then and then next to He Man was Rambo, and then and then Optimus Prime drove up next to He Man, and it's literally literally just naming things that for like a full been, page that must is have been that a book. rights nightmare must have been a rights <laughs> nightmare that book in a nutshell i remember when i read it i read it because i heard there was a movie coming out of it and i was like i don't know how the fuck you make a movie of this but uh they did and the movie is also terrible yeah um and uh, just as a word of advice to listeners, if you are like me and you're seeking to fill that Song of Ice and Fire-sized hole, I highly recommend the uh, Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Those books are wonderful. They're like high fantasy shenanigans that I think do a good job of scratching that itch. So there's a free piece of advice from me to you. And with that, I think... The time has come for myself and my co-hosts to step out of the Adaptation Lounge, this uh, formerly blank void and now somewhat filled with random pieces of furniture, and into the pitch zone, our world-famous zone where pitches take place and pitchers meet to pitch to one another. And uh, here now is our pitch zone theme song of the week which i can only imagine has like a kind of country twang to it this week uh i imagine you know it's got a real like down home kind of like country love and feel to it and i'm uh, just making my life much more miserable when i decide to edit this episode so enjoy that uh me well i'm gone I left my baby in the pit zone I hope she will forgive me I got too excited by my bitches I want a bitch with her I want a bitch with you Heck, alrightly, bitch, with just about anybody tonight. Please pitch me now. Please pitch my cow. Please pitch us all, and we'll sleep in one big bed. And we're here in here the pitch are. zone. Wow, what? Both what feet a- on the ground banging country tune that was oh yeah uh, old town road eat your heart out uh that was like old that was like the the live old like town you were road dying. Of, of pitch zone theme songs yeah <laughs> a real a real treat so thank you to um me thank you to me i i did a great job so this week in the pitch zone we are going to take the wonderful task of transforming candy bars into best-selling novels and first up on the pitcher's mound is none other stepping up here in his pristine white uniform uh what are your what are your team colors chris uh white and gold Ooh, i like white and gold the gold has to be shimmery though it has to catch the light just right 
Yeah, it's it, it's 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 like a tactic on your team's part to like yes. shine the shine light in in people's eyes. Entirely. So stepping up, uh, number number forty three into the pitcher's mound, uh, we have Mister Chris Okawa with his pitch to turn a candy bar into a best selling novel. Take it away, Mister Okawa. Wonderful. So um, as I was approaching this, uh, I looked to all of my. I'm a big audiobook listener. Um, so I go to my, my library has almost like 70 titles in it. Um, used to, back in the day, for those folks out there living in uh, the aftertimes, uh, we used to ride the subway for hours um, throughout the week to visit friends or to attend work or whatnot. And now, now not so much. Um, but back then, I, I, that's where this audiobook really love was fostered. And during that time, I started listening to a lot of thrillers. I love thrillers. Um, and as my collection grew, because it was based mostly on like, if you liked this, you'll also like this. And I would listen to it. And I'm like, yeah, I do like this. Um, thrilling, I know. Um, demonstration of how recommendations work. But uh, I, I started listening to a lot of uh, women written thrillers that were bestsellers. So this includes uh, Something in the Water by Catherine Stedman, which is one of my main uh, source materials today. Um, we have Big Little Lies, What Alice Forgot by Leanne Moriarty, uh, The Girl on the Train by uh, Paula Hawkins, State of Wonder by Ann Patchett, The Nightingale, Kristen Hanna, uh, The Alice Network by Kate Quinn, which I'm listening to currently, The Last Mrs. Parrish, which is scandalous by Liv Constantine, uh, and Where Do You Go Bernadette by Maria Semple are these books that were like really formative for me the last like two or three years because I was listening to them a lot. Some of them I listened to multiple times. Um, I loved the stories. I loved how snatched the sort of scandals were inside of them. Um, and so tonight's tale and tonight's my best-selling novel based on a candy is going to be based on something in the water's initial premise uh, mixed with um, the uh, film actually got Cocaine Godmother, um, uh, which is the life and times of Griselda Blanco. So it's kind of actually technically the life and times of Griselda Blanco but we'll get into Griselda's story a little bit later. Um, so um, in uh, Catherine Stedman's Something in the Water, and this is a through line throughout all of these books that I've uh, touted just now, um, is that the women are like piecing things together. There's a lot of head injuries. And uh, the biggest piece is that the men that they trust most will betray them. In the case, no, spoiler alert. If you're thinking of listening or watching, not watching, reading Something in the Water, by Catherine Stedman, turn, just skip, just hit, what, just hit what it are 30 seconds ahead. What are the chances that that will become a HBO event series? Oh, very likely. I think the rights have been sold. So okay. something in the water, um, it's important to note, something in the water is in step with these other, this tradition where the man closest to our main character uh, betrays her very, excuse me, violently, they have a fight for life uh, at the end, which is, you know, the same with the girl on the train. This is the same with, um, you know, uh, the Alice Network at parts. Um, the last Mrs. Parrish. This is also a motif in that. So it's like the, the men that you trust most will betray you and hurt you. And is that an inaccurate thing? No. Is it not happen in real life? No, it happens in real life. Should there be a genre of literature about it? I'm not. I'm not going to be... <laughs> this man to tell you uh, how these uh, great feminist pieces should be written. Um, but it is a motif. It's a strong motif. So I wanted to honor that. And that's going to come into play in my pitch. So 
my tale begins much like Stedman's Something in the Water. So Something in the Water begins with this sort of knocking at, they're staying in this water uh, bungalow on their honeymoon. Uh, that's, you know, the bungalows that are like on the po- pontoons above the water or the, the pylons oh, yeah. above the water. Of course. Um, you know, uh, and so like you hear a knocking about it. It's like, oh, what's this knocking? I, I look out the window. It's dark. Oh, I'll have to go in the morning. So um, uh, similarly, it's a couple on their honeymoon. They hear a late night knocking at the pier pylon and they try to sleep through it. The wife wakes up and there's nothing there. She can't see anything there. Um, and then like she goes out on the pier and we do this way elongated series of it, it, these books are also very experiential. It's very much like I peered into the darkness, the lapping of the, the waves kissed the pylons, like the wind battered across my, the starboard bow of my face. And, you know, like just very experiential and it's beautiful prose. I mean, there's a reason that I spend most of my time listening to it, um, but it's very elongated. They, they extend this very, very far too long. Um, and we will do that in this book too. So she's, she's standing on the pier. She's looking out being battered by the wind, seeing nothing, peering to the best of her ability, goes to sleep. Uh, her husband is just unmoved and it's just like, oh, like just uh, it's nothing, it's nothing. And then uh, it's also important to note that this couple is South American and that's going to come into play uh, later on in the book. Um, so the husband, uh, she wakes up and she goes and looks at the pier and she sees nothing. She sees nothing, no signs of anything knocking against the pylon. Uh the husband says that there was nothing. He got up early and saw nothing there. He's zipping up his bag that got, uh, there was a, a tear sequence that happens on the, the airplane while they're shoving it into the overhead compartment. These sort of uh, MacGuffin-like or like deus ex machina-like instances are rife in these types of books. And so it's mm-hmm, very important mm-hmm. that we have a very pertinent tear in the corner of this bag described maybe 100 pages earlier. And so he's zipping that same bag up and he's stuffing it with his stuff, and he's like, oh, he has to go make a call in town. So he trots off to the end of the pier, um, and he gets on this fun little moped with a local guy, um, and they have this fun, uh, very culturally honorific conversation, and we feel like we know these people a little bit better. Um, and she notes a white glinting at the base of the uh, where the pier meets the sand uh, and goes to grab it, thinking that it's one of his AirPods or something to offer up to him. And she jogs up towards the beach, um, and we we take way too long to describe her feet clattering against the boards and then uh, the transition into the crunchy sand. And she picks it up, and she realizes she was just seeing the top little sector of this thing. She pulls it out, and it's like a 1930s-era nickel-nip bottle. All right, so it's like an aged, the wax has kind of yellowed a little bit. Yeah, the liquid is still very much intact. There's no, you know, tampering, signs of tampering or, or um, someone has not enjoyed it yet. It's fresh to the extent that a 1933 piece of candy could be. So now let me explain. Is everyone on the same on board with what a nickel nip bottle is? Do you know what it is, Matt? I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so nickel nip are these little sort of Coca-Cola bottle designed glass bottles um, well, it's in the style of a glass bottle, it's made out of wax. It's about maybe a half inch wide. And in the middle is a reservoir that's filled with like a flavored liquid. So there's like orange nickel nip, blue, purple, green. And so how you're supposed to enjoy nickel nip, even my wife and I disagree. Uh, in theory, you're supposed to bite the top off and drink it is what I heard. And then you spit out the wax and the wax is fine, whatever. But she says that you're supposed to put the whole thing in your mouth 
and chew it and the flavors get in your mouth and you're chewing the wax and having fun with the wax and then you spit that out. Uh, I think that's a failure design of a candy, personally. Both of those sound like uh, unpleasant experiences. Neither of those are things I want to take part in. Yes, it's my least favorite candy. Here we go. Ding, ding, ding. So this is this is our titular candy. This is the candy that is being adapted. This is this the candy that is the center of our plot. Disgusting thing. Yes. And so it's a uh, sort of yellowed, slightly beeswax, uh, glass Coca-Cola effigy uh, bottle uh, that's about, you know, an inch and a half, two inches tall and an inch wide that she's holding incredulously. Uh, and it has this liquid in it. And she's like, huh, he must have like, I don't know, had a snack for the plane or something. Of course, we'll have a dumb thought in there because it's one of these books. And so sure. um, it's innocent enough looking to our protagonist, Martha. And so I didn't cover earlier. Her name's Martha. She has this really charming, endearing, like three page intro about this is who I am. This is what my life is like. This is how good my husband is in bed. This is pivotal to these books. I cannot emphasize this enough. The men no. are incredible in bed and the women yeah. have wonderfully balanced lives. It's very important to these books. Okay, that was that was my follow-up question was how good is he in bed? And he's he, the answer is he's incredible. He's incredible and she'll tell you what parts he's good at. That's also an important part for And some just just for the sake of my own visualization. He has a hard body um, too. Yeah. I assume that uh, this will eventually get turned into an HBO limited event series as well. This, uh, the, your book. Um, yes. And when it does, who is going to be playing these two lead characters? Who's oh, going to be our Martha good... and who's going to be our sex machine husband? A good question. Well, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking I'm like an to... Amy Adams. I'm tempted or... to hire a Mara sister, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, it's you very on brand. Uh, yeah, she might play like a uh, like a tertiary character. Um, our main character, I think, should be Alicia Vikander because Alicia brings this great strength Tomb to Raider. the role. All of her, yeah, all of her is Tomb Raider, Ex Machina. Um, she brings uh, the other, bull, uh, not the other bowling girl, um, the the Dutch woman, the Dutch lady. I don't know. Uh, with uh, Freddie Redmayne, Eddie Red. Wow, I don't know anything. Eddie, Eddie Redmayne, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, and the you got Dutch it. girl. Oh God. Well, uh, she brings a tremendous strength and uh, fortitude to her characters, but she also naturally has this sort of carefree and like a great air of traditional femininity. These are things that we will play against later in our series, and she's marrying into this sort of South American. Um, family um and i don't know do you know any sort of like latinx like really talented male actor that would be really sympathetic that i haven't already cast in other stuff i mean my go-to is always like your pedro pascal he's very big right now he's very in demand yeah. i think he's honestly, very handsome let's do pedro because there's a turn with his character and i think it'll really surprise our audience so it's yeah. pedro pascal playing opposite alicia vikander <clears throat> so she's holding this vintage nickel nip on the beach, um, sort of piecing through these things, assuming the best of Pedro. Um, and uh, she's wary of its brown coloring initially until she tastes it out of, you know, sort of nostalgic um, curiosity. And she bites it and she's looking out at the beautiful surf and uh, this like a cyan blue water that's unbelievable and these far off pontoon boats and all this just beauty, the natural beauty and, and really taking in, um, maybe there's voiceover here. She's talking about taking in 
the majesty of her life and her new married life and all the her optimism. And this is going to really make this a fun roller coaster as things heat up. Um, mm. And she uh, takes a she bites it off and sips it. Um, and it tastes initially like a sip of Coca-Cola, but on the back end, it makes her tongue tingle and her head swim. Uh-oh. And she, yeah, she's a, a, admittedly a self-proclaimed party girl uh, back in New York. And so in the the television option, we can like cut over to a night where they're having a party and they're dancing and a friend's like, hey, do you want to come to the bathroom or whatnot? Uh, and she like, le- she's like, hey, I got this stuff. And the friend lays out a line of Coke and then produces a dollar bill and we cut back and we do like a facial match to her on the beach and she's looking out, she's making the connection. And she suspects that this is vintage cocaino that is infused into this Coke. Now, Coke, the history of Coca-Cola is that it was originally developed from cocaine leaves. Um, and sometimes it's rumored here or there that there were some trace amounts of cocaine stimulant that sort of trans transitioned from the leaf into the actual soda. They have since sort of renounced that and, and changed their refinement process, unfortunately. But um, it's so it's uh, so it's a, a high cocaine concentrated Coca-Cola in these nickel nips is what she's suspecting. And mm. uh, her husband uh, returns downtrodden from town and she's kind of embarrassed about this strange sort of beachside accidental drug trip that she went on. She tells uh, he tells her that his call didn't go well. And uh, so then he goes to sleep kind of dejectedly and late that night. And this is way drawn out in the book because, again, it's a it's a sensational, a very like uh, experiential thing. So it's like we're talking about the the crash of the surf. We talk about the darkness of the room, her eyes adjusting, the creak of the boards, the rustle so of the grass. I'm getting I'm getting a feeling here that uh, this book is going to end up being at least like 300 pages longer than it really needs to be yes. just because we're going to really spend a lot of time. This is going to be like a 700 page book. This could be a we're short spend story. So much time. <laughs> it could be a short describing. story, but we get paid by the word in, in the style yes. of, of uh, Dickens. Okay. Um, right so on, right on. We hear this, this, the, the strain of the grass roof as it, as it uh, rustles stiffly against the evening wind. And uh, she's sneaking around and she unzips his bag and we go piece by piece of the zipping process. And he mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of wakes up and rolls over. You know, we're on the edge of our fucking seats. Um, and she goes in there and there is a box uh, and she sees peeking out is one of these like vintage nickel nips. Uh, and she's like, what the fuck? And she opens up the box slightly and she sees it's probably about a hundred of these vintage sort of yellowed wax nickel nips with that same matching brown liquid therein. And so she's like, oh, my God. And she looks over at her husband betrayedly in the, in the film version, then back at the box. And, uh, and we, she takes down the address. She has the clarity of mind to take down the address. I'm not going to fiddle with it. I don't want to talk to him about this. There's clearly something funny about these bottles. And it's strange that he hasn't brought that up to me. Stevie. <laughs> oh, my, my. <clears throat> and so uh, she takes down the address um, into her iPhone. We mentioned this in the book because it's a, a sponsored uh, sort of partnership. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, Apple is publishing this book. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's going to be the new sort of, it's going to be kind of like the uh, U2 album that they installed on all the uh, iPhones. <laughs> it's going to be this book. You're just going to get books. it whether you want it or not. <laughs> yes. And so uh, she goes back to sleep and she's woken up in the dead of night hours later by a roaring jet ski engine. That, and she tries to wake up Pedro's character very hurriedly. Maybe his his character name is something that is akin to like very close to the word dick, 
which a lot of these guys' names are, just to really drive it home. So maybe his name's Derek. And she like tries to wake up Derek. Um, and uh, he's like, no, no, no. And the, the engine is roaring and roaring. He's like, you're being paranoid, something, something. And then all of a sudden, the, the engines get closer, closer, and then bullets start tearing through their Four Seasons oh bungalow. Oh, my God. Tearing through, and she has to roll, and she tears him off, and he gets hit in the shoulder. Uh, and then also in the neck as he goes to look uh, uh, after, you know, we've drawn out this sequence very long, rendering him speechless. This is important. And two toughs break through the door, abducting the husband before knocking Martha unconscious. So now we've hit our other bullet point of she has to have a head injury and wake up sure. discombobulate him. The next morning, Martha is awoken by hotel staff. And uh, we talked. For <laughs> they, just, so- they just left her there. They just abducted the husband and left her. <laughs> yes, we talked for so long about how her head feels uh, like six different metaphors. Is what I have written here. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be fifty pages in and of itself. Is Entirely. like to really bring you into her headspace. Fifty pages her- and a memory about how she hates her mom. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> a suspicious but handsome detective arrives to question her. He learns, or she learns, uh, that this is the Rollers cartel. So um, Tootsie Roll uh, created the Nickel Nip. So I had to have an Easter egg. This is ham-fisted, but that's where our audience is. Yeah, Um, for sure. They like to be ham-fisted. So um, it's the Rollers cartel. And so um, moving through here, I have my story beats and then my grander series pitch uh, on the next page. So here are our sort of fast and dirty story beats beats that ensue. Now that we've established tone, uh, she partners with the rugged detective to infiltrate the roller's lair. Eventually, uh, she finds her husband in the back of the casita or the back casita of this big compound, this big sort of drug lord compound. And he's running the books. He's an employee now of this cartel in a short few days. They have uh, a big, you know, kitchen sink come to Jesus. And she finds out that he owed this cartel money from a failed money laundering scheme gone wrong. Um, I guess a failed money laundering scheme gone wrong would be a good money laundering scheme. It was a money laundering scheme gone wrong and was trying <laughs> to pay them in their own coin. So he potentially, we we uh, we infer that he went to make a call and was like, I have your shady nickel nips. Like, it's, uh, I, I want my debt raised. So it's, this is this is becoming very uh, Ozark. Um, I'm getting like some real Ozark vibes from this. We've got like the husband in too deep, and we've got money laundering. It's a great show. You should check it I out. I really got to. I really got to watch it. Um, and so the grand operation that they're running there, she finds out very shortly thereafter, is that they're getting the nickel nips, the nickel nips to Argentina, where they'd be dehydrated, the cocaine extracted, and then sold abroad. Where were they getting all these nickel nips? From an old Chinese warehouse in Hubei <laughs> where they were stockpiled and forgotten about. And it really just took a very keen eye and ear of this linchpin sort of, uh, you know, bad guy of the rollers to taste one and be like, well, this is the good shit. So uh, this is, I mean, it's got to be like what, like a 1000% profit margin. That's a brilliant, brilliant plan. Yeah, Who I mean, this of all is this shit? A, a quite a sneaky uh, drug smuggling ring. So things escalate. The detective is ultimately murdered by her turncoat husband after a tense standoff. The wife is then inscripted 
into muling these nips to Argentina oh, for God. profit th- for the cartel and to pay your husband's debt. Now, this is actually something that sort of happened to uh, Griselda Blanco or the cocaine godmother is that her husband, she didn't know or maybe she knew kind of uh, that her husband was like a cocaine kingpin and um, she ended up like opening up a competing operation to her husband and like developed into this great uh, not great because I mean, no, it's not a great thing, kids. If there's children that listen to this, but into a very powerful drug lord, um, uh, she invented the uh, motorcycle drive-by. If any of you kids are curious, um, <clears throat> very influential character, Griselda Blanco. So I wanted to honor her in an actual good uh, film adaptation. Um, so she's sort of conscripted or or, or conscripted that's the word not inscripted the wife is conscripted into muling these nips to argentina to profit the cartel and pay her husband's debt now this book the title is sandcastles but this is a trilogy because you're saying to yourself that's not a resolution okay (laughs) interesting right this is a trilogy the second one glass houses not sure how that applies, but I, Ooh, I like it. It's sound. a fun title. That is the kind of title I could see a mom reading on a beach. Yes. I can see her like, reading Sandcastles, and then the next time I see her the following summer, she's reading Glass, Glass Houses. Houses. And then the tagline on the cover of Glass Houses, though, is like, sand catches fire or something because that, that's what ha- that's how you get <laughs> glass and so maybe there's a ton of metaphors about how I, like yeah electrification I be... or chance or tragedy strike sand and it becomes something beautiful and transparent oh i thought it was going to be something about you know people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones that's also part of it those are both okay. part of so it so it's Matthew. a double it's a triple entendre that's really. what these books it, the book's called something in the water and it's about like they use it for everything in that book. I mean, and, you could have at the end of our, our uh, at the end of glass houses, uh, you could have the like, you know, the mother load of cocaine or whatever that in this sequel she has to like obtain in order to win a drug war against her husband or whatever the fuck yeah. happens in the second one. It could all end up being stored in this beautiful glass house. I love that, that. was like by abandoned in Shanghai by these yes. like pirates or something that yes. like created this glass house full of cocaine and like you know it's like it's like the it's like the shambhala of cocaine runners yes <laughs> they're looking the for this glass house exactly so that's glass houses you're already your your gears are cooking that's a good title right there and then our third and final book is called stronghold where she starts working with the police um or the fbi and the cia namely um in order to dismantle this uh, empire in a moment of clarity uh, maybe she dies. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe you'll have to buy the paperback when it is on shelves in your local Barnes and Noble. I think there's an opportunity here to make this like the Scarface for moms. I like where that a lot. the the you know in the first book she's this hapless you know kind of like maybe she's a little ditzy. Yes, and she's kind of like what's my husband up to? And then in the third book she's this like ruthless drug yes. lord, like Griselda Blanco, getting just like gunned down by the DEA and like yeah. just a, you know a, a horrible bloodbath where like yeah. all of her followers and all of her new lovers are all just like t- killing themselves for her it almost becomes like a cult in the third book yeah you know maybe stronghold. that's where like, like there's sort of stronghold. like very inclusive it's like a, it's like yeah. a jonestown kind of situation yes. and she's like this charismatic leader because she's just so like turned 
uh, yeah, this is this is a book series that I would read. Uh, I mean, okay, I would watch the HBO miniseries for sure. Thank you. Um, because you know, with multiples with multiple books, I mean, we're talking like a three season event series. Yeah. So that and it is produced by Reese Witherspoon. That's a that's a non negotiable. Yeah, and she's going to be playing Martha probably then if she's if she's, if she's producing yeah, it. Yeah, I would have to might, have a hard conversation with Reese. She and be might like, be foisting Reese, herself you're more there. suited to be to play the cocaine. Actually, could you maybe maybe settle for that? Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be great. I think this is, I think this is going to win moms over, uh, all over. I mean, they're going to love, they're going to love the initial first book. It's going to hook them in. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're spending 400 pages describing these beautiful Shanghai pirate ships. Mm-hmm. And, sunk cost uh, fallacy. That's how you keep the moms is sunk cost fallacy. They're like, well, I've read like, one and a half. I may as well read the last one and a half. I got, I got to read the final one. I got to, I got to, I got to finish this out. Yeah. I mean, I think I you see you, you buried the lead here because you described this as something that would be in the bin in the supermarket. And I disagree wholeheartedly. I think this is like, right. This is like number three on that shelf. Uh, this is definitely going to be like a big grocery store seller. I mean, probably I think your target audience is the kind of people who don't even realize the sequel is out until they're in the grocery store and they see it on the shelf. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Sand catches fire. That must be the sequel to that other one that I yeah. love so much. And, um, and here's a question for uh, the publishing team. What would you call, because we have like, you know, the, the, the Fire and Ice, the Song of Fire and Ice. What would you call this trilogy? Would you call it the Sandcastles trilogy? Would you call it the Stronghold trilogy? Where does the title come from? Or is it the Martha trilogy? I don't know. I think I think it should be something like the Houses trilogy because that's oh, your yeah. title motif is you have three different domiciles. Yeah. Um, and they all sort of operate as double entendres. So, uh, I mean, I think you could call it like the Homefront trilogy mm, yeah. or the like i mean that doesn't really make sense because it's homestead all abroad it's all, ab- all abroad yeah homestead that's good the homestead trilogy making and, a home you know, where there wasn't a hope maybe like her maiden name is something like homesteader or something like yeah. that you know kind of working just make it a whole theme of like how she never felt at home in the suburbs where she yeah. lived a very sort of rich and privileged life and then in the final book when she has this sort of Jonestown comp- this compound this Martha town Martha uh, compound uh, this drug compound where she has like you know religiously devoted followers uh, she finally feels at peace she finally feels like she has a place where she belongs and she's worshipped um, you know and then our theme of home comes full circle there and then her home is taken from her by the DEA maybe uh, as the DEA is closing in she has to be ushered into her cocaine filled glass house and just like the inhalance of the cocaine you know, the cocaine content in the air um, alone sort of overstimulates her her heart and sort of pops her heart. But she we have maybe a heartfelt moment where she places her hand on the other side of the glass and her successor matches that uh, as her successor is sort of carted away and she's now contaminated. So she can't be pulled out of the glass house. And uh, she dies moments later. What do you think of that finale? I think, you know what? I actually really like, I was just thinking myself that maybe we like make it seem like they're going to get the Scarface ending where she's going to go out and hail of bullets. But instead, you know, she basically, she doesn't get to have that ending. It's taken from her. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, she's so far gone. And she's like, I'm going to do one last hit of my sweet, sweet Coke before yeah. I, I take on the DEA. And yeah. then with that last hit, she like dies of cardiac arrest before the 
DEA even arrives and she doesn't even get to take part in their like last stand. I like that. And I think also it, it allows the, and forgive me if this becomes controversial, this is just a, a comedian spitballing here. But what I like about this is that we allow her to feel empowered. We allow her to be dynamic and, and, and strong and fearless um, but at the end, the women still get to feel victimized by <laughs> the hands of the cruel men, which is an important uh-huh, motif uh-huh. of this type of literature. But you also have a little bit of that, like, uh, you know, uh, I'm getting a lot of what's that book series that everybody loved? Um, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Uh, the yeah, girl with the yeah, dragon, girl tattoo. The dragon tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting some of like those vibes, you know, where we've got this like badass leading lady who's just like, doesn't take no fucks and she just like takes dudes out and i think that that's that's kind of the vibes you're gonna get you're gonna watch her transformation into that yeah um but you know in that first book especially you're gonna have lots of opportunities for just like you know horrible things to happen to her yeah um you know because there is some part of uh that kind of uh you know readership that loves just shit getting gruesome you yeah, know yeah it gets See, you, very gruesome you get you get you get to have your cake and eat it too, and that's yeah. and that's a really rare dish. Um, so, uh, for in honor of Halloween, even though it's going to be Christmas season when people listen to this, uh, but in honor of the season, I think we should rate this instead of our usual green light or red light, which not a single project I believe has gotten the red light. No. Um, well, that's well. I did people get a yellow just, light. Yeah, people I got have a, just sort of neglected to vote or abstained from being a part of I got, your project with Indiana I Jones. Got a, uh, I got a red tinted yellow light with uh, uh, that Indiana Jones project, but uh, I, I think we should rate this trick or treat. Oh, I like and, that. And uh, I'm going to call this a. Tr- I'm going to call this a treat. This is an absolute treat. I mean, this is this is gold. This is money in the bank. These books, uh, Thank honestly, you. they they write themselves. I wouldn't even ask who the author is. I was going to say. Oh, we should get like a. Oh, I was know, actually going to use an alias. Do you want to hear it? Oh, please. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Do you think yeah, that'll take a, off? I think that's a that's a name that's only only rising in stock right now. <laughs> um, so uh, I was going to say we should get like a Gillian Flynn in or whatever yes. to 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 write this, but honestly, this book is such a a sound idea that it is actually already written itself, and mm. all three books are already ready to go. They're actually already in the supermarket right now. I don't yeah. even know how it happened in my original just, sharpie. When these ideas coalesce so uh, so perfectly, these things just take care of themselves entirely. <laughs> so. Beautiful. Well, well done, Chris. I got to say that is one of your Thank most you. like thorough and and uh, detailed pitches. And I'm I, I coming from somebody who doesn't know much about that sort of world of should we call it like suburban thrillers? Yes, it, they're suburban thrillers, hardcore. And if anyone has any issues with that or questions, they know how to reach me for sure. <laughs> I would love to talk about these books all the time. But yes, they are very, very domestic. Yeah, I don't know much about the that sort of genre. I mean, other than like I saw Gone Girl, and I thought that was pretty good, um, was good for the most part. Uh, but uh, uh, I felt really brought in, and I feel I feel really educated on on the the wonderful things of that world. So thank you for that gift, for that yeah. ha- Halloween gift that you've given me, Mister Okawa. I am eternally grateful. Much like the aliens in, um, in Toy Story. Uh, you've saved my life and I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. I popped out um, around a corner and went books. <laughs> 
Happy this Halloween. This is going to sound so good on like fucking December 1st or whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to be like, all right, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so uh, then if you will allow me, I would love to take my uh, venerated position here on the pitcher's yeah. mound and throw what is uh, my trademark curveball. Oh, good. Um, because uh, I opted for quite a different uh, approach this week. I decided to instead, you know, I could have very easily indulged myself and gone off into some wild flights of fancy and created some incredibly elaborate, uh, fantastical narrative. And I even started to come up with one in my head, but I was like, no, I want to mix things up this week. So I actually have like multiple mini pitches, basically. Oh. Uh, where I picked a candy bar specifically the candy bar payday. Oh, I love um, that. I don't know why I picked payday. I've just been fascinated with that candy bar recently. Uh, I had one and it was fine. Um, but there's something about that candy bar that has always intrigued me. And so I decided to uh, take that candy bar and then morph it into the style of separate authors. Oh. So I have a couple of authors here that we can just kind of riff on. So first up, we have... Payday by Stephen King. Oh. So here is my general uh, synopsis for Stephen King's Payday. We have a, uh, a young, struggling writer. He's a uh, young man. His name is, uh, let's, let's say his name is Carol Mel. Oh no, it's worse than not. He's, he's always been sensitive about the fact that his name is Carol, so he goes by Care. Okay, much um, so his better. Name is Care, <laughs> not Caramel. <laughs> Why well, is it Caramel? So um, he goes by Carmi. Okay, you know what? Let's let's take it one step further. Let's say he's he's related to uh, actor Stephen Amell. And uh, his last name is Amel. So his first name is Care and his last name is Amel. So uh, our our protagonist, Care, he's a struggling writer. He's had like one hit, but he just can't churn out a second one. And it's been like five years since that first hit. So it's not looking good for his career. And his agent is kind of calling him up and being like, hey, Care, hey, Care Bear, it's your agent. Uh, just trying to figure out what's going on with that second book. And in the movie version, I'm thinking this is going to be like a Dane DeHaan. So picture okay. Dane DeHaan in this lead role. So he's trying to write his book, but he's got like, he's crippled by writer's block. And uh, in the meantime, he ends up getting a phone call that his mother, which is his last surviving relative, has died. And that he has to go to uh, his hometown of Peanut, Maine. And settle her estate. So he goes back. Does it have to be called Peanut? Does it have to be called Peanut? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Stephen is non-negotiable on that front. White rapper Maine. White rapper with payday on it, Maine. <laughs> That's less subtle. <laughs> Only subtle. Uh, so he goes to Peanut, Maine. <laughs> where as soon as he arrives in this like spooky small town, he has to confront the ghosts of his repressed trauma oh. and discover the shocking truth behind the nursery rhyme that has haunted him his entire life. And the nursery rhyme is 
Payday, payday, he's gonna collect. Payday, payday, he's coming for you next. So that's like a nursery rhyme that he's Uh had like nightmares about his whole life. And he comes back to this like spooky small town and he learns about how like there was like a sadistic bully that was just like a full on psychopath uh, when he was a kid who used to like bully him so bad that he would just, you know, like end up with like scars. He still has like some of the scars today. And... Uh, like one day, I actually didn't write any of this down. This is all just off the dome. Um, <laughs> it's or if you're Stephen King, at least you're un- in- un- under the dome. At least you're admitting it. <laughs> I mean, I wrote down that first part. I didn't come to this totally unprepared, but I'm 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 into the idea now. I'm riffing. So he he like uh, his his sadistic bully when he was a kid he like uh, uh chased him into this like old abandoned house and there was like in the basement of that abandoned house there was like a like a crack in space time or something oh my God. where there was some sort of unspeakable horror that like swallowed up the bully the and then like sort of situation yeah exactly and then nice. like the bully got like spit out by the rift later and like uh uh you know all he could say was just like that nursery rhyme over and over and uh, so it's just like haunted him and now he has to like come back and like confront that like rip and uh, (laughs) you know it's 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 all about like coming to terms with their trauma and dealing with like repressed memories and also like unspeakable horror it's in Maine it's a writer Uh, you know horrible things are going to happen to him over the course of it there'll probably be like really one really gruesome scene where he's like hiding from a monster in like a cupboard and uh his finger gets like cut off by the cupboard door and he like can't scream because the monster's in the house and he doesn't want to give away his position but it's like bleeding all over the place you know something really gruesome could you do that could i could i do that could i hide in the cupboard from a monster do you have your finger cut off in a cupboard and then not? <laughs> I don't think I could, but I could see Dane DeHaan kind of convincingly sweating in a cupboard and trying to like not get noticed by the by the payday monster, which will by be a monster payday. that's made up of of peanuts and caramel. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's a salt and monster. Are they even? Are any of them old? Can we at least? Uh, hi, this is. <laughs> And I guess everyone, I'm aware that everyone has a bad Minnesotan Midwest accent from my whole company. And that's just because we're, <laughs> our offices are in Minnesota, okay? And no one asked. Um, This is Dane from Character Design. Uh-huh. I love this payday monster idea. Do the, Does the nuts and the caramels, do they have to be fresh and delectable? Or can we make them a little green, a little mossy, a little mm-hmm. moldy? Here's... Here's the thing is that uh, when it comes to Stephen King books, uh, you have to have a monster that sounds frightening on the page, but looks terrible in in live action. Uh, I'm talking your Langoliers. I'm talking your Tommyknockers. You know, they've got to be this like when you read about it, you're like, oh, that sounds kind of spooky. And then you see it in the movie and you're like, oh, that's. Really in an dumb. actualization. Well, okay. Um, I'm gonna get Monica in from Candy Product, and we're gonna. I think we'll put a little bit of like large, large flake, uh, like like a seal sea salt, car, uh, sea salt on on the outside of the caramel to make him look like extra yummy. Um, and there's there's something else that's very important that I need to include in here is uh, some sort of child with a disability that has oh, no. uh mental powers yes that um, is magic 
So, uh, you know, we've had like, there's like a blind girl in the Langoliers, um, you know, uh, the, the regulators has the autistic child. Um, I'm thinking this is going to have a, a young boy with no arms. Oh, uh, he's going to have no arms, but he will have the ability to read minds. He can read people's minds. Um, and he is able to read the monster's mind and kind of communicate for it in the big climax. Um, but he has no arms. What is the um, what is the monster want? So, uh, the, you know, when he reads the mind of the monster, it'll just be something like, "I just see blackness and and anger." He he's angry because he says he says it's payday. He says it's payday, and he's here to collect. And uh, and then and then maybe he'll have like a revelation about something his mom was always telling him when he was a kid about how his mom was like, well, well, Carol, you got to pay the piper when the piper's due. You got to pay the piper. So he'll like pull out like his lucky coin that he's always had and he'll give it to the monster <laughs> and the monster the kid will kind of be arms like, is going to pull out a coin out of his pocket. No, at the- no, it's. It's the kid. The kid's there. He's oh, the kid's okay. there as an interpreter. But it's also. But it's you know. This is this is Dane DeHaan, aka Carol and, Amell. And Carol Amell pulls out the coin <laughs> as sort of the MacGuffin. What? Well, yeah, yeah, and it, it's this, a coin that his. It's we're gonna bring up in like the first chapter as like his lucky coin that he always has on hand because his mom gave it to him. This is uh, Charlie Collette um, from Voiceovers. Um, I want to spin to you, young man. This comes to mind another. Uh, sort of uh, horror picture, uh, I believe, is a Stephen King. Um, and the finale, of the character is played by a Skarsgård. I think we should get the Skarsgård, the elder, <laughs> yeah. Alexander, to voice the Payday Man. Is that a- of interest to you? I know we have Bill from the It series, but could we maybe get the older yeah. one? I think I think so. I think I think that's a that's a must. And if we can, let's get Stalin in there too. I want this to be the entire Skarsgård family. Maybe he's the old man at the general store that refuses to sell peanuts. Eh? <laughs> yes, he's the old man at the general store who we just eat jelly know, sandwiches. D- d- uh, Dane DeHaan hears uh, him like humming the payday nursery rhyme to himself, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Where did you hear that?" And that's in the and trailer for sure. That's the first exactly. opening of the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it go from black, and he's like, "Where did yeah. you hear that?" And then he's like, "You and like will pay." <laughs> and like, I like that day Don, and I want to see him get work. So I think that this book, the ad- the inevitable adaptation of this book, will be a good opportunity for him. Inevitable. Um, yeah, for sure. So that's so that's Stephen King's payday. I think that one is uh, pretty straightforward. <laughs> Probably the book. The book is going to end up being, I would, I would estimate around 850 pages. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lengthy book. There's going to be a lot Arky. of characters, a lot of deaths, you know, a lot of like one-off oh, yeah. characters. There's going to be like the scene where like, there's like a Klansman in town and like, oh we get God. like his, his inner monologue about how much of a racist piece of shit he is. And then he just gets like <laughs> torn to pieces by the payday man, uh, which is <laughs> That is that is canonically his name now. His name is the Payday Man. The Payday Man, and uh, you know he just gets torn to pieces by him. Uh, Maybe it's and a man that used really to work. Satisfying. The man used to work at like the peanut factory and the peanut factory is abandoned in town and he fell into a vat of peanuts or something and something well, bad maybe- happened. Yeah, maybe like, uh, you know, he's I, I think what it's going to end up being is that this is a creature that we can never truly understand, you know, because he's, yeah. he's so outside of our, our like sort a, of understanding. Like a cryptid. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a very Lovecraftian kind of horror beast, but uh, you know, the the reason they call him the Payday Man is because there's like a local legend about like an old killer in the fifties, you know, who who killed a bunch of people and then hid out in the in the old peanut factory and then dis- <laughs> disappeared. You know, he disappeared. And nobody ever knows what happened. So, like, maybe this monster is that man. Uh, he fell into another one of these cracks, you know, and then yeah. emerged years later as this as this beast that just Sometimes wants to feed. There's a few shady characters in every small town that fall through the cracks. He's <laughs> the yeah. voiceover oh, as yeah. we're doing the establishing shots in the trailer. Oh, of the different- yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes killers just get away. They slip right through the cracks. <laughs> yes, that's, that's good. a treat. That's good. Give me another. <laughs> All right. So that's so that's Stephen King's payday. Uh, <laughs> next up, I... Uh, now, I... I <laughs> <laughs> so we have um I, I i'll be honest with you i really want to see this movie now like i would read this book and i would see this movie, oh the, the payday Steven, this yeah, oh, the yeah. Stephen king's payday i think bloomhouse would pick it up because they have no scruples um so next up i have a uh, john grisham's payday um, <laughs> the same name no they're all called payday they're all called payday i'll tell you that right now so this is uh, John Grisham's payday, and it's about a small town Southern lawyer. You know, maybe he's from like Alabama, and his name is Patrick Day, and uh, he is at the end of his rope. You know, he's 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 got his own kind of private law firm, but it is struggling. In fact, probably like the the book opens with him like just blowing this case. You know, because he's just like not prepared or whatever. Or just like you know, the deck is stacked against him, and it just goes really badly. So he's got like a bad reputation around town, and he's very much at the end of his rope. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to close up shop. I can't be a lawyer anymore. And as he's like about to do that, he's visited by this like young farm girl who her father just died and she inherited her father's peanut farm. All right. But as, as she did these, uh, these like men in black suits showed up and were like, actually this farm belongs to us. And she's like, well, Mr. Mr. Patrick day, could you help me get my farm back? And he's like, all right, I really don't want to take on one more case. I was going to close up shop, but I guess I'll do this one last one for you because I feel bad because, you know, maybe his parents are dead or something. And he takes on the case only to uncover unravel a massive web of lies and corruption that goes all the way to the top all the way and all the way to the top the bad guy is going to turn out to be some kind of senator or something Shit. you know who will have to like resign in disgrace when his crimes are made public Good. you know this this peanut farm was like you know he works for like plant he's 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 been dealing with the planters lobby. Oh, the planters and been lobby like, is vicious, dude. <laughs> they've been buying up peanut farms in Dapple the area. Was the planters lobby, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so it's just this small town lawyer who's like, I'm just a simple man, but he's got to go up against this massive corporation with billions of dollars and like all these high priced lawyers. 
and uh, you know he's he's the little guy, but he manages in a true David and Goliath story through some just like compelling surprise witnesses and some incredible closing arguments. He like is able to bring down this giant and like not only save this girl's farm, but save his own faith in the justice system. I think that's a tale we could all use these days. So I'm going to give that without further ado a treat. Um, yeah. I also think, yeah, I think you could do a lot with just the mysterious men in coats and their silhouettes and we could sort of paint a uh, sort of um, and uh, like a Faulknerian sort of starkness on the frontier of Peanut. Uh, yeah, that might, little, that might be a little, that might be a little depth, like heavy for this, this, John, this, this John Grisham book. I think that we need to keep things pretty surface, pretty just like, I think John Grisham was probably like the Dan Brown of his day. Oh, for um, sure. But even more like blase because Dan Brown talks about more than like briefcases and lawyers. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I, I have never read a John Grisham. I will never read a John Grisham. Although the Pelican brief is one of my favorite book titles because it's just yes. so silly. It's so, such a fun title to say. Yeah. Um, I did once write, and maybe we'll re- release this as a bonus episode one day. I, uh, when I was in high school, I wrote, um, I took upon myself to try to create the most uh, esoteric cross fan fiction I could think of. So I did a crossover between the movie The Pelican Brief and the movie Welcome to Mooseport with Ray oh, Romano. God. Um, and it's it's an incredible read. So I, I'll dig that up and I'll release that as a bonus episode one day. This maybe um, a Patreon level or something. <laughs> yeah, that'll be one of our reward tiers. People can hear that masterpiece. Oh. Um, so that's John Grisham's payday. Uh, I also have here, um, and let's just put on the back burner here. You know, let's just take a little a little uh, break here from my prepared uh, remarks, and uh, because in talking about Dan Brown, um, why don't we why don't we riff for a second on what Dan Brown's payday would be? Oh yeah, I am um, a big Dan Brown boy, so I I could definitely talk <laughs> a lot about that. So obviously, there's got to be some sort of uh, ancient conspiracy tied yes. into the Catholic Church. But um, the main tools of investigating are the tech that does not yet exist, and the tech yeah, is the Absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe this is like, uh, what's his, his protagonist, Robert Langdon? Is that Robert his Langdon. Name? Yeah. Robert Langdon. Uh, so Robert Langdon, noted cryptologist who uh, uh, he's brought in, uh, you know, maybe he's retired at this point. Like he's like, I'm done with solving symbols and riddles. And he goes to like the opening of a new uh, 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 like candy bar factory, yeah. uh, like a gallery that's like all Halloween themed. Yeah. Maybe it's like his. OK, here we go. So he's like an older Robert Langdon and he has a daughter and she uh, she's opened an art gallery that is like a tribute to, to Halloween and has like candy bars everywhere. Okay. And while while appreciating this this art gallery, he notices something kind of unusual about the payday exhibit. Yes. And she's like, and he's like, how did you make this payday? And and she's like, oh, it's just an actual payday. I just zoomed in on the wrapper. I, you know, I just, I, I zoomed in on the wrapper in a way nobody ever has before. And as he's like looking at the wrapper, he notices something interesting in that like the number of peanuts on the cover of the wrapper is, is 12. And it's and in the shape is- of a golden rectangle. And all of his, these synesthesia like images float around him in a non-humorous <laughs> way. This is important. And, and uh, <laughs> he sort of, I mean, I think that he's got to take down the Illuminati. It's the only people he hasn't gone um, after yet. 
I, and in a nice little nod to JoJo's part seven, I would love to have like the golden ratio be a big part of this. Like maybe the P, the P is like, you know, the, the golden ratio yeah. and he's, and that's the clue that leads him and then to he's the like, Illuminati. Tom Hanks is like, he, he does the thing where he's pointing and then he increases the intensity of his point and he puts his hands on his hips and he turns to his daughter. He's like, the creator of payday never had a payday in his life. It's not, it's not, he never eaten it. But he'd also never been paid a day in his life. It's the P and the D. It's the P and the D. And he's I like, like, I gotta get going. And he like starts running out of the gallery, making a scene. You know, here we are. We set out to uh, turn candy bars into books. And every single time we've been talking about the movie adaptation that will come. I'm shameless. So, uh, yeah. So this is the quality content that uh, um, people are expecting. So there's Dan Brown's. Uh, payday. I think that's that's a book that that um, is going to be bestseller. Here's my pitch: is that it's not called Payday. It's actually called Demons and Demons, and he tries to package <laughs> it into his series. <laughs> and the Payday's just a real fuck you at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. The tetralogy. Um, that's what we need is is some more fuck yous from Dan Brown. Um, this is probably one of our most vulgar episodes too. It's just the amount of of fuck bombs we've been throwing out naughty, there. Naughty, naughty. I'm going to have to start labeling these as explicit. Oh, man, you um, haven't? I just do I it by not, default. Yeah, I should probably just do that. Um, uh, ignore this, people from Anchor listening. Um, so uh, <laughs> next up, I have uh, Tom Clancy's Payday. <laughs> so here we have... Uh, Off the coast of the United States is a small, unrecognized U.S. territory called Caramel which uh, decides to declare its independence from the United States by holding an experimental warhead hostage with the destructive capability never before seen on Earth, known only as the payday. Yes, I was hoping it would be a bomb. I was hoping it would be a bomb. (laughs) Uh, So retired military analyst uh, Peter Nutt. um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't you look at the fucking camera when you say that to me. You look at your pitch. You keep your eyes to yourself. You know what you did. <laughs> Man, this one should have been released as a video podcast. Uh, <laughs> Peter Peter Nutt. Um, which I gotta give I gotta give credit. Um, I did not come up with that name. My name was originally John Peanut, and I was reading this to a friend of mine, and she pitched uh, John, she pitched Peter Nutt, and I was like, damn, that's good. So I can't Peanut. believe you subject other people to these <laughs> rantings and rantings. Yes, uh, and anyone in the vicinity is. I'm like the guy in the subway who's just like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I have your attention, please? <laughs> Pitch number one, Stephen King's payday. <laughs> I'm doing very well for myself. I do not need money. However, I do need opinions and smiles. I just had a guy come through my train today, in fact, who his pitch was, I protect people out here. I see you getting robbed. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. I protect people. Yeah. Um, so he was being paid to be a vigilante, um, which I, oh, I, I, res- I Was respect. he armored? Uh, no, he just looked like a guy. He didn't have a, even have a mask on, so he was not oh, protected in any, in any no, sense. No, even Batman has a fucking mask. <laughs> That's that's true. Um, okay, so <laughs> interesting tangent. Uh, retired military analyst uh, Peter Nutt is brought out of retirement to lead an elite strike force uh, on an infiltration mission to the island and uncover the sinister Russian conspiracy behind the warhead's capture. Nice. 
So I imagine it will ultimately turn out to be like basically a coup that was instigated by like a Russian operative who, uh, you know, after spying on the United States, they they determined that this would be a good way to destabilize the mainland, would be having this kind of armed uprising and then getting them to launch the nuke and totally weaken the United States as a superpower and then come in and, and just clean up. Um, so, you know, payday. You, and get their payday. Well done. Uh, again, I have not read a Tom Clancy novel, but I feel like this is probably pretty on point. Uh, if anybody out there, um, you know, uh, has a big Tom Clancy head. And I mean, I did play Splinter Cell, so I'm yeah, not completely. <laughs> I think I saw the sum of all fears. Um, so, you know, I'm sure we'd have like at least 200 pages worth of just like gratuitous descriptions of like, you know, the weaponry that they're taking in on this infiltration yeah. mission and like people's rank and people's rank all is sorts important. of maybe there's snowboarding in there. Got to have a snowboarding opportunity. <laughs> a la Rainbow Six. <laughs> all sorts of just stupid, you know, fucking uh, uh, military sad, jar- sad, jargon. Yeah, sad American military apologist genesism of like, see, this is where your money's going. Maybe. This Could is be. a this is a book that is written to end up on your dad's bookshelf, never to be read. Yeah, um, that is that beautiful is this spine on that book. Beautiful, yeah, spine. beautiful, beautiful hardback. Uh, really thick, thick novel. He'll bring yeah. it with him on on one vacation, but he'll only get about twenty pages in, and he'll and unpack it and put it on the bedside table just yeah. to get to his socks. And then and then uh, it'll never see the light of day again after that. Um, so that's uh, Tom Clancy's Payday. Uh, and uh, those those were my three big ones. But if I may, I can just riff out here another one. Uh, a story of uh, two wealthy aristocrats. Um, one is named uh, Nut Paniel P. Day. <laughs> Paniel Day. And the other one is named, uh, you know, Ca- Salty Caramel. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Salty Caramel. So they're two wealthy aristocrats who uh, have such an intense lust for one another that uh, they decide that the only way that they can, like, really uh, get off is by uh, uh, trapping themselves in their own home together to uh, sexually torture one another until the, the first one to die loses, basically, who can withstand more of their lascivious minds. Uh, so that would be, of course, the Marquis de Zod's payday. I would call um, that the Marquis de Sade's 120 days in sorghum. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Um, we can we can have a lightning round here. Who's like another yeah. author? Uh, K.A. Uh, or- Applegate's uh, Payday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have to come up with an interesting name. So maybe it's, uh, uh, okay, it's William Blake's uh, A Reflection on the Pay of the Day. <laughs> reflection on the Pay of the Day. Uh, William Faulkner's, um, you know, as the pay rolls in. Um, and it's, it's a multi, uh, multi-character, multi-perspective story, uh, that is told in reverse chronological order, um, <laughs> and is nigh indecipherable and is written in uh, Southern jargon. There's Tennessee, uh, Tennessee Williams, the hot scorching pay of my day. Which is all about like an extremely, uh, flamboyant man who has a, uh, interesting lifestyle he's He's like he's like a he's a a lifeguard alcoholic 
he's like a rich he's a rich guy who clearly has some like uh uh you know homosexual leanings but uh you know he we never get super into that he just kind of comes off as like eccentric um and it's all about his relationship with his mother mm-hmm. um and uh, uh, what? Who else? Who else we got? Let's, Maybe let's F, go for some what's more F. Scott office. Fitzgerald's payday book for you? <laughs> so that would be, I guess, about um, a uh, a wealthy uh, woman who cannot be satisfied by one man, um, and a the like naive young boy from like the wrong side of the tracks who like falls in love with her uh, and attempts to make himself rich by taking on like a, a, a extremely dangerous job that no one else wants just so that he can kind of put on the air of being a super like rich playboy. And he develops a relationship with this woman. And then eventually she finds out that he's not actually rich and immediately dumps him. And he is then the next day uh, dies on, on, on the job at his extremely dangerous job. And his life was ultimately for naught. And the woman, uh, it, like the very last text of the book will be like, and she forgot he, she ever met this man. He was remembered by no one. <laughs> Well, uh, I would think the uh, I think that's perfect. It's on the nose. My Ernest Hemingway payday. Uh, the first page is just pay period day period. The liquor flowed like honey into the <laughs> thirsty man's gullet period. And then it's like then we have the inscription and it's like to my alcoholism is the dedication. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I got it. I got it. All right. So here we go. So Philip K. Dick's payday is going to be, uh, it's going to be the distant future mm. where, um, there are psychics that live amongst us because just like, why not? And it's like a very weird hyper, like consumerist kind of cyberpunky world. And our protagonist whose name is going to be something like pumpkin bookshelf or you know <laughs> some weird shit like that uh our protagonist uh he he works like a corporate job where uh his whole job is something extremely esoteric and strange like his job is just um his job is to go into work and um tell people what he thinks that their mothers would have said on their deathbed. Like that's his job. Um, Like for people that didn't get to see their mothers die, he uh, assumes what they would have said and he tells it to them. And uh, he it's, it's informed that he's, he's informed that he's getting a promotion and uh, that he's going to have a big payday coming his way. And he just has to get to the top floor of his office building to get his like new paycheck. And the entire book is him trying to navigate the floors uh, of this like winding building as uh, all of a sudden, like the, you know, the floors start becoming his childhood home and he gets to a floor where it's like a big party and uh, nobody knows who he is. And his entire perception of reality starts crumbling down and on the top floor, he meets like the cruel creator God who made this world. And it's like his boss and like he and his boss, are the only people that exist in this like manufactured reality that he's like stuck in. And he's like, and now you're going back to the mail room to start the corporate climb all over again or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's Philip K. Dick's uh, uh, payday. That's all wow. off, off the dome. What a treat. You'd never guess it. You'd never guess so, it. Uh, this was about like 40 pitches. So are we getting a trick or a treat? Um, I think you're getting you're getting a treat, but you're getting uh, 
just sort of an assorted pack of treats. You know, like there might be bottle caps mm-hmm, in there. Mm-hmm. There might be sprees. You know, there might be runs. You're not going to get, you know, I'll get, it's not all f- fast breaks and Reese's. You know what I mean? Mm, you know, I wish gonna, it was. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? But in the words of William Shakespeare, if every day we're playing holidays to play, if every day we're passing holidays to play would be as tedious as to work. And I think that applies to our mixed candies that we hand out to small children on this holiday. Well said, Mr. Okawa. Now, I think this has gone much like, I would say, 100% of our episodes uh, pretty far off the rails a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, But I want to do our usual shtick of, uh, did you notice any commonalities between uh, these these pitches? Oh, the pitches. Um, no. How did we and how we tried to integrate candy bars? <laughs> no, I guess not really. Um, you had like literal candy bars, and I tried to, uh, for the most part, avoid having the literal candy bar appear. So, um, no, not much in the way of commonality this Maybe week. The only one where there's just no through line. Not really. The through line is is Chris and I just just proving once again that we are exceedingly unskilled when it comes to uh, both operating a podcast and um, writing uh, just anything. Uh, So this took a dark turn. uh, And I apologize for that listeners, but you know, it is the season. It's, it's the Halloween season over here in recording land and we're feeling a little bit spooky. And sometimes, you know, that, that spookiness enters our brains in ways we didn't anticipate. So before we wrap up here, uh, it is time of course, to incorporate a new item into the adaptation lounge. Uh, Chris, do you, I'm going to give you the honors. I think I had the honors last time. It was just the two of us. Um, I don't know. I don't um, know. Mine would be a, you know, I think that all this talk of sugar and all this talk of danger has me a little bit on the sort of uh, preventative side of things. And I realize we don't have a lot of safety measures inside mm-hmm. of, you know, the adaptation lounge. And so I think that it's time that we had. Uh, an EpiPen, I think, is an important <laughs> addition. And we could put it in a little polished sort of candy apple red box on the wall with a little breaking clay case of emergency glass in front of it. You rarely see it like that displayed in public because of its great expense at the American medical system. But sure. Um, yeah, I think that we I would like to have an EpiPen on hand in case we have any guests that are allergic to peanuts. Um, that's true. And we have had Sam Kessler on and he is allergic to peanuts and I'm sure he'll be back. So that'll be, yeah. uh, that'll be useful. Uh, well, thanks so much, Chris. And thank you for in- joining me once again and indulging in just the, just torrent of, of nonsense and, and toxicity that spews out of me each week. I am like a muck. Uh, that is, <laughs> that is, if, if I was a Pokemon in this, in this, uh, scenario, scenario, I would be like a muck and you would be like, um, what would be like a, a Pokemon that's very like order keeping? Um, um maybe like a, in my head, you're a Bronzong um, because, you know, they are steel, so they're immune to uh, poison type moves, but also um, psychic. So you can really keep me in check uh, yeah. double, doubly there. You're the perfect counter to me. And in addition to that, Bronzong just looks like a big bell. And I think that's fun. Um, yeah. and he's, a, he's a fun looking guy. You can't go wrong there. No complaints here. 
Well, great. There you have it. Um, I expect some beautiful fan art um, of, uh, of of Muck and Bronzong, Matt and Chris. Um, or like maybe we're Pokemon trainers and like we have those. I'm just really fishing for fan art here, guys. I just I love being drawn. Uh, keep that in mind. Um, and here we are back in the Adaptation Lounge for one more week. And we wish you all a very scary... December, a very spooky Christmas. Sponsored by Tim Burton. A spooky, a spooky Hanukkah. Wait, has Hanukkah already happened? Or it was spooky whatever happens in December for you personally. I want it to be spooky. So enjoy that. Watch out for ghoulies. Watch out for ghosties. Watch out for ghosts and goblins. Uh, watch out for super ghouls and ghosts. And especially watch out for ultimate ghouls and ghosts because that one, or ultimate ghosts and goblins on the PSP because that one hasn't held up as well as the others. So here's Matt Chot, your intrepid host for the week signing it off goodbye bye everyone <laughs>